Welcome to episode four of the Loud Noises podcast with Karis Louder. That's me. Episode four. Cuatro. Quatre. Cuatro. Cuatro. Four is, uh, four is the same in Spanish and in Portuguese. Um, it was a great weekend. Uh, loved having um, Dagny on the podcast. If you haven't had a chance to listen to episode three, she's uh, super interesting. Uh, we had a great chat. Uh, today, we're going to be talking on the phone with my dad. He's the guy that, uh, that probably birthed in me the love of uh, cinema, of art, um, and uh, of racing cars and all that stuff. So uh, it'll be fun to talk to him. I got to spend a good amount of time on the motorcycle, on the uh, the project I've talked about on here before, the CB750 1980. I got all of the lights working. I, I got the starter working. Um, it is exciting. I put the gauges on, I put the lights on, and it's it's starting to look and feel like a real motorcycle and not just like a lifeless hunk of, uh, of metal. Hopefully, before it gets too sunny here in the next uh, 10 to 14 days, hopefully I, I can actually have something I might be able to ride on. But uh, that story will uh, resolve itself uh, in the near future. Want to give a shout out to our sponsor, SanitaAthletics.com. Sanita Athletics, uh, founded by former Division One track athletes. This is athletic wear for uh, for women and, and girls that that love to run that that need the utility of pockets in their running pants. Uh, they've got these awesome uh, tank tops. They've got great long sleeves. I know those are. It's kind of going out uh, since since it's spring and summer, but. The, you got to visit SanitaAthletics.com. That's S-E-N-I-T-A Athletics.com. Enter promo code LOUD, L-O-W-D, at checkout. You get 10% off your order. That's SanitaAthletics.com, promo code LOUD. Everything on the site is under 45 bucks, and everything is is better than any of the name brands that you could buy at the big stores. Check them out. They're, they're, they're located in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, in the Phoenix area. They, uh, they're, they're, they're great. I want to shout out the movie Sicario, Sicario. Uh, I might talk about this with my dad, but watched it for the second time, uh, a few days ago. And I am struck with how good that movie is and, and how underrated it is in a movie that was, uh, there were some pretty good movies this last year. Um, but man, it's a great movie. Emily Blunt is fantastic in it. Her performance is great. Benicio Del Toro uh, owns the screen every time he's on. He's just the coolest dude. And Josh Brolin's great. And the cinematography is fantastic. And the music's great. And the sound editing. It's, it, it, it's one of those movies, after I watched it, I wanted to watch it immediately after, uh, just for the second time. And then after the second time I watched it, I thought, I want to watch that. I want to watch that again right now. And that's uh, it's very rare at the movies these days. So speaking of movies, uh, like I said, my dad, when I was a teenager, he was writing screenplays with his brother, with my uncle. Uh, they'd take me to trips to LA to shop these things around. I, I f- fell in love with uh, writing because of him, writing uh, with a W, uh, and also motorcycles. Uh, he had a Honda when I was, uh, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, and there, and you know, we would go on Sunday rides, and 
and I thought it was the coolest thing. And it really, that love of motorcycles resurfaced in me uh, when I was older. So without, without uh, further rambling about motorcycles, about movies, let's, uh, let's bring on Brad Louder. Dad. Howdy. What's up? How you doing, man? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you great. Can you hear me? I can. Good. So welcome to cool the uh, welcome to the Loud Noises podcast. Well, I'm happy to be joining you. Uh, how's work? Work was awesome. Good. Long day. Lots of meetings. Some of the things I'm working on made giant progress today and also kind of walking around with a heavy heart of the missionaries who got hurt in the terrorist attack and feeling for their families and those Four dudes. Yeah. It's kind of close to home, you know, when we have a missionary in the family. That's right. We, uh, my younger brother, Dallin, is serving a LDS mission in Houston, Texas right now. He's almost done. Uh, and of course, uh, those, among those that were injured um, in the attacks in Belgium were uh, a few LDS missionaries. Yeah, amongst, of course, many others. Um, so, uh, what's been uh, what's been going on lately in Utah? Well, the big news today, I'll tell you, um, is the uh, the Democratic caucus is is all the rage. Now, the Republicans today, uh, they all participate online. The Democrats in Utah are old school, where they have the uh, caucuses in neighborhood venues in local uh, schools. And um, I've already spoken to some friends and family members who've gone and returned from the Democratic caucuses, and they've said it was it was really exciting. And uh, you know, some of them have never participated in a caucus like that, and. Um, um, so it was. It was. Uh, it's. It's the big story out here right now. And, and of course, over the weekend we had uh, Bernie Sanders, who did a couple of rallies. And one of the one of the rallies he did, there was a, a line of people that extended for several miles, trying to uh, get into earshot to, to hear hear him speak and be part of the rally. So it's been been fun to see the the groundswell of. Um, of political activity in Utah as as the uh, events you know kind of uh, become more relevant locally and to see how people have have really engaged in the process um, when Utah actually tends to have one of the lower ver- voter turnouts in the nation there's there's kind of an excitement about this this um, this presidential race and uh, that's been fun to to kind of watch that unfold and see people become very vocal and become more involved in the process. And uh, so it's fun. That's, that's been uh, a big deal here locally. That's fun. Um, and, you know, we, you and I don't normally uh, talk politics. Normally we talk uh, about other stuff. I do want to ask you, uh, have you been riding your motorcycle? Well, I'm glad you segued to that because honestly, I'm way more interested in motorcycles than politics. Um, <laughs> you know, you... <laughs> is that is that terrible of me to to uh, come clean and no i was i was sh- i was shocked that you spent five minutes talking about the caucusing in utah <laughs> exactly yeah well you know i 
I uh, I was just I made all that crap up. None of it. None of it. Uh, don't give any of it any heed. That was just me talking off the cuff. But if you want to talk motorcycles, now I can get passionate. Uh, I, uh, and honestly, I haven't I haven't ridden for a couple of weeks. Um, I, my travel schedule's been ratcheted up the last couple of weeks. I had meetings in Los Angeles, so I was gone for a few days. Got back, was in the office one day, and then then went to the East Coast. Had meetings in New York City, and and literally got back Sunday night. And um, and then we're taking a little family spring break trip Thursday, you know, this weekend, and so haven't been around for the last three weeks. And, and honestly, I, I would love to ride my motorcycle to work, but uh, it snowed today. <laughs> oh, really? So it wasn't an option. Yeah, I opened the front door and it was this morning and it was snowing. So I, I'm pretty, uh, I'm, a, I'm a stickler when it comes to uh, riding my motorcycle in the snow and sleet. Um, just the, the risk benefit uh, analysis never never points towards yeah hop on the bike and take her for a spin because that's exactly what it would turn into. Yeah, I'm not a. Uh, we get a lot of rain in Portland. I've ridden in the rain often, and it doesn't bother me. But uh, ice and snow is a different story. I uh, I actually I mentioned it earlier in in this podcast, but. I am getting very close to having a running motorcycle. I put some good hours into it over the weekend. I've got all of the uh, lights working. I've got the starter working. Wow. I need to hook up the ignition and uh, the the gauges and the brake switches. But then I am. Wow. I think I can actually put some fuel in the tank and put the tank on and see if it'll run. Now, of course, that probably well, I'm, means I'm that impressed because. You know, when I was visiting you uh, just a few short weeks ago, um, it was basically a, a frame, uh, an engine, and uh, a garage full of loose parts. And I looked at that and started to get chest pains, you know, because I thought, wow, I, I, uh, anyone who can take that box of nuts and bolts and, and uh, reconstitute it as a running motorcycle, you know, deserves some kind of award. Um, I do, you know, so I do deserve an award. You actually, well, you do. And, and, and I, th- I think, I think that reward is, is a, is a rideable Honda CB 750. <laughs> that's the reward is, is the rideable motorcycle that you built from a bucket of bolts. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know a lot of people that have that talent and, uh, it's especially impressive to me because you're self-taught, you know, you, um, you didn't take, you didn't take auto shop in high school and learn how to rebuild an engine and how to rewire a vehicle. Um, you know, you and I had, uh, first kind of had our wrench turning experiences, um, with that cool little, uh, Porsche 911 Targa, the 911 SC Targa that we restored and, um, did a few go fast things too. And, you know, we did a little bit of the work ourselves on that to, to make it into a pretty special car. Um, so that was really yours and my first foray into into uh, turning wrenches and, and having fun, you know, taking an older vehicle and, and making it something real special. So it's, it's, it's fun for me as your dad to see that, that those experiences we had, you know, when you were 16 years old, 
has uh, those have transformed into a real passion and uh, I mean not just a hobby but really a passion and a love for you of um, you know taking the kind of an older classic vehicle and and uh, reimagining it as something that that is different and really special and, and kind of collectible so I think that's really cool and I admire you for it because I, I you've certainly um, surpassed any talent I've ever developed in that area and so I just stand back in, in amazement and think wow I don't I don't know how you do it so well I think you, man. you you talked up my my you talked me up a lot but I really don't know a, a lot about a, a lot but uh, I, I did get a love from cars and all of that uh, from a young age and I think it's always been there uh, from going and watching yeah. you and uh, your brothers Jeff and Scott race cars out at Bonneville uh, from when I was a tiny kid uh, through you know until I was what eight nine or ten years old and I always wanted to race cars and build race cars and we never really got that chance growing up we wanted to do go-karts but never quite worked out and and so i think now i'm just uh i'm just getting all of that out of my system but the problem is uh, as as you sort of do things like that you get more and more into it and then you (laughs) you end up spending more and more money and time and and uh but it's i think it's it's a a worthy hobby it's uh you know it's definitely not hurting anybody except for me and my bloody knuckles. But, um, so yeah, it really did come from a very young age, watching racing, watching you guys out on, at Bonneville, uh, what, which, yeah. what is now Rocky mountain raceways racing that, uh, 12 S, uh, Volkswagen rabbit. But, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's, well, you know, I, I got to tell a quick story, uh, remind you of a quick story in that regard. And that is you were literally, two years old when you started going to the races, watching us race, maybe three, but you were so fascinated by it and so captivated by this stock car racing that you had a front row seat to, um, that you became obsessed with matchbox cars when you're tiny. And so, you know, your your car collection kept growing and growing and your favorite thing to do with them was, to push them around like they were racing. And one of your very first words you learned was waste. You couldn't even see your R's yet. You're lining up your matchbox cars. And sometimes you'd, you'd get 40 or 50 of these cars and line them up side by side like the starting grid of a big NASCAR race. And you'd look at them, you know, with, with pride and amazement and holler out, waste, waste. <laughs> so from the time you, you, you could barely, you know, you, you had a three or four word vocabulary race was one of them. And, uh, and you were already imagining yourself at the Daytona 500 with your own starting grid of your, of your creation. So it's a, it's a bug that you caught pretty early. So I, I can't really fault you for, uh, for having this obsession or, or hobby might be a, a kinder uh, way to call it, to, to phrase it. But, but yeah, you caught the bug early and it's stuck with you. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's been it's been very fun. I it's it's therapeutic, as as you know, uh, most creative uh, things are. It's also a, a good creative outlet. I can kind of uh, invent new things, and and uh, you know, it exercises that problem solving 
the problem solving part of the brain. Um, yeah. uh, watched I watched uh, Sicario again about two nights ago. Uh, we watched that together. Uh, I watched it for the first time. You had watched it before, and then you watched it the second time with me, and then I had just watched I just barely watched it the second time. I, I think Sicario is the most underrated movie of last year. I think I it's brilliant. I agree with you. Yeah, when I saw it in the theater, uh, when it was released theatrically, I walked out of there just with my jaw hanging down. It was so stunning. Brilliant filmmaking. It was so impactful in terms of the storytelling. And this incredible look at a world that I have no exposure to and no frame of reference to. And it was this honest look at, at <laughs> how our law enforcement agencies are doing everything they can, including things that are illegal, to uh, try and, and manage, not end, but manage uh, these drug cartels. Uh, and it was it was just so gripping. Moments were so terrifying, and and uh, you know some movie. I mean, it just it, it just transformed you there. And it felt like you were part of this this task force. You know, going through these tunnels and having these gun battles down in the tunnels that were being used for for trafficking huge amounts of drugs and and. Uh, it was it was just in every way a, a superb movie. So I I completely agree. I, I I would say that was the most underrated movie of the year. And and frankly, I think if it had come out at the end of the year, uh, it might have been nominated for best picture. Yeah, uh, you know, well, we could go into all the politics and nuances of the Academy Awards. Um, but what what were your what were your favorite movies of last year besides Sicario? Oh my goodness, <clears throat> that's a really great question. Um, uh, well, I didn't see um, uh, oh, the you know the best picture spotlight. Uh, spotlight. I have yet to see it. I think you'd like it a lot. I I, I know I'll like it. Um, you know the the. Writer, director, actors—I mean, it's—it's—I it's, know it'll be something I love. Um, oh, if I were to pick a couple of favorites, um, wow. Um, well, part of my problem with films is if the good ones all run together, and so I—I'd say, oh, there's this one. It's like, no, that was that was last year. Oh, no, that was two years ago. Um, so just kind of walk me through well, who are the nominees for Best Picture, and I'll tell you of those. Uh, maybe my top three. Uh, we oh, had we, uh, uh, Spotlight. We had The Big Short. Which, oh, right, right. Which right. we've talked about before. Yeah. Um, uh, what else did we have? We had uh, The Revenant. Yes. Um, which one, you know, I don't know how many Academy Awards, including Best Actor, Best Director. Yeah, I'd probably say Revenant. Revenant would have been my number one favorite. Um, I did see it twice. I, I loved it so much I had to go back and see it again. Brilliant filmmaking. The cinematography was just breathtaking. Yeah. Um, and Leo was, was, it was his best work to date. 
so believable. I just absolutely transformed you there, and, and it was every he, he completely embraced that character, and his this journey of revenge he was on was so visceral and real that um, you know there was never a moment where I got pulled out of the movie. I was I was completely there from start to finish that flick. So that was that was by far my favorite. Hmm. Um, I did I I love the Big Short, um, but in there were times where I loved uh, kind of some of the filmmaking techniques. And there were a couple times where it was a little bit distracting to me, uh, but all in all, I thought it was it was great filmmaking, and um, you know, the filmmaking itself, some of the techniques were were really kind of meta, you know, where they were they were sort of, um, you know, it was a, it was almost a, just some of the film, the storytelling techniques were were reflective of the financial crisis and what happened. And so that was, that was pretty fun to see. That was, that was some really smart filmmaking. Yeah. Um, oh, let's see. What else? What were some of the other nominees? Um, um uh, I don't, did you see room? I still haven't seen room. That's the next on my list. Oh no, no, I didn't. I haven't seen it. Um, looks interesting. Um, but yeah, for me, I mean, Revenant was just kind of head and shoulders above the, the crowd. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, every bit of it. The, 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 the cinematography, I mean, every frame of that was so beautiful and had the richness of that golden hour um, photography that, that you just, you can't really recreate in post or, or with filters. It was just so authentic and and rich and um you know just and you know walking through the <laughs> the the uh waist deep water through these these underwater forests and and uh, i mean every bit of it was just just such such brilliant epic storytelling loved it yeah what about uh, you what, what, what would you pick as your favorite yeah I, I think the revenant was my favorite i think it's it was so haunting um, it, you know, it's a very powerful experience while you're watching the movie, yes. but it's you know very haunting afterwards. You think about it for a After, long time. That's how I was. Yeah, it just stuck. And so few movies stick with you like that. Right. Most right. of them are really pop movies. It's fun while you're there, and ten minutes later, you forgot what you saw. And Revenant just, like you said, haunts you and just sticks with you. Yeah, I think Revenant. I think. Uh, I think. I think Sicario might be number two for me, and and I think. Inside Out would probably be number three. Ooh, Inside Out was brilliant. You know, I would I would agree with Sicario at number two. Absolutely loved it. So incredibly underrated. Um, and I think that will reemerge and have a second life as kind of a cult classic. More people discover that, and I think it'll get legs on the Netflix and really become a major hit in the aftermarket. You know, in the home market. Right, because um, people, you know, in, in in the digital realm, people are starved for great content, and the the great films just rise to the top of that heap. And I, I think it emerges as one of Netflix's most viewed uh, videos in the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on on um, Inside Out. It was 
yeah, it's fun, but like all Pixar films, it's not just fun and games. There's so much heart, and it's such brilliant storytelling. Well, it's, just, it's just so, there's so many layers to it that it's, it's really some of the best filmmaking of, of, of this era, really. Yeah, uh, it, which was interesting to me. The Pixar thing this this year was interesting because I thought Inside Out was so great, and I thought that the Good Dinosaur was so dumb. It was just dumb. I just didn't like it. And yeah, I, I, I didn't get it. It felt like um, it didn't feel like something from their studio. No, it felt like it felt, something from a knockoff studio that they were trying to be Pixar and came up way short. I. I mean, to be honest with you, and I, I mean, I, you know, I know people who work at Pixar and I have nothing but respect for them, but I'm kind of surprised they released it. It felt like something that, you know, in the earlier years they would have looked at, and, you know, screened and, and uh, you know, with their internal focus groups, with their, you know, they would have looked at that and said, uh, no, we can't release that. That's not us. Yeah. So, I feel, I feel you know, like I, it... I don't want to rip on them, but it, no, just, it, it... just felt like, they're great people and, and they're doing a lot of awesome stuff. It's honestly like it's the first dud, except for maybe Cars 2. Uh, it's yeah. the first dud that they put out. And it, it really felt like it was a short film that got blown into a feature film. Uh, That's exactly what it felt like. <clears throat> but yeah. Uh, yeah, that was shocking to me. Um, we have talked, we have talked uh, a lot about. Uh, about TV series and, and I don't even know if we, if you call them TV series or just series anymore since so many of them aren't on TV. Uh, yeah. But um, are there any series right now that are, that you're binging or that you are fi- just finished binging or that you uh, are looking forward to the next season? What, what are you, what are you loving right now in the series uh, TV series world? Well, I just finished binging on, um, House of Cards. Okay. And I, I'm embarrassed to say how quickly I ground through this whole last season, but man, that's one of those where it just, there were a lot of, you know, 2 a.m. mornings of, oh no, I got to watch one more. Oh no, just one more. Uh, it's so binge-worthy. And every episode is just such a cliffhanger and, and it's so smart. You know, it's it's sort of like um, an edgier version of, of uh, The West Wing. <clears throat> every line of dialogue is perfect. Every actor is perfectly fast and delivers just impeccable performances. The writing's crisp, the directing, everything is spot on. And, you know, you just sit back and go, wow, this is this is what this medium was made for. So I'm done with that, which, you know, I had a couple of days of mourning when, when I finished the last episode of the season. And uh, on, based on your recommendation, I, I flipped over to uh, Better Call Saul, and I was a little skeptical going into it, thinking, oh, you know, this character's kind of goofy, and he's a little bit of a caricature, and and uh, but, but Bob Odenkirk is such a talented guy that has truly created a, this very interesting character. And um, so I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. Plus, plus you've never stood me wrong on a, on a recommendation for a movie or a series. So, <clears throat> so I gave it a shot, and... Um, so I'm about six episodes in now, and I'm just hooked. It is so much fun, and again, it's it's um, it's so much smarter than I was expecting. Kind of based on his character, you know, this total shyster, 
uh, ambulance chaser attorney who's who's just you know kind of this goofy you know blue collar classless guy who's just doing anything for a buck and you know becomes a sleazy defense criminal defense attorney. I thought oh, I don't know where this is going to go, but 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 these episodes of backstory are so well done. Yeah, the characters to see the backstory to see how everybody came to be leading up, you know, as a kind of a prequel to uh, Breaking Bad is brilliant. And it's Vince Gilligan. The guy is just, he is a genius. Yeah. Um, and that's all I can say is, is I should have known if, if it's a Vince Gilligan production, it's, it's going to be nothing short of brilliant. And it is. So I'm, I'm hooked and I appreciate the recommendation. So thanks. <laughs> another, uh, another not, totally talked about series uh, that I sort of stumbled upon and turned you on to was uh, Bloodline. <laughs> so why is no, why is nobody talking and or watching Bloodline on Netflix? Right? Yeah. Uh, seriously, one of the best things created in the last 10 years. Uh, and and that, I, I, I'm embarrassed how fast I binged the entire season of that. And that was I, that was way worse than even even uh, House of Cards because it was new. Yeah. And um, and my goodness, as the story develops and the you know the threads keep getting pulled out, and you know you can see the demise of these people, this family unfolding, and it just. It, it's excruciating to watch, but it's, you know, it's like driving by this, this 80 car pileup on the freeway, you know, in slow motion, you just see it. It just gets worse and worse. And, and you can't stand to watch it, but you can't turn your head away. Cause it's just so you know, deliciously awful. Um, anyway, I'm kind of overstating the, the, the negative, but because there's at the heart, you know, it's this really interesting family and these characters are, are so layered in the performances. You know, Kyle... Um, Kyle Chandler. Um, yeah, Kyle Chandler is brilliant. Guy's got serious chops. You know, you look at his stuff at, uh, on Friday Night Lights and and how he truly... He, he single-handedly made that a brilliant series. Um, you know, what could have been kind of a cliche look at high school football became a really compelling series and and it was because of i think he he carried that show on his back i mean he was great writing but he's 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 got this you know kind of looks like the all-american boy but there are all these layers and all these undercurrents to him that are so interesting and in this one in particular yeah to, um, to me bloodline um you know the writing is fantastic and uh, and the direction is fantastic to me, the performances are what made it. Kyle Chandler is great, but but uh, Ben Mendelsohn, he plays Danny. Just oh. he he has the personality. Uh, I'm trying to think of who to compare him to, um, but it, it's every scene he's in, he's got that magnetic pull where you have to look at him and you're listening yeah. to every word he's saying. Uh, yes. And it's interesting because he's such a quiet character, you know. He just, yeah. He's he, he even when he's talking, he's not saying much, but he's saying everything with the subtext and and there's all this subtext is always 
frightening. Oh yeah, it's like you're getting this glimpse into what's in the dark part of his heart and what he what you think he's really capable of, and it's terrifying. And yeah, yeah, he, he's that's that's one of the greatest performances in years on on a series. He's he's brilliant. Yeah, I think I, I think Bloodline is very underrated. Very underrated needs to be viewed by everybody. Yeah, and that's that's when it'll catch on. Because you know, like it's like we were saying, man, on Netflix, the great stuff rises to the top because the word starts to get out. People start mentioning social media. Oh, I love this. Or people ask, you know, when it comes to Netflix, everybody does the same thing. They don't start scrolling through the million offerings to find the things they ask their friends. Yeah. You know, they text friends and family members, hey, what have you watched on Netflix lately? You like. And that's how uh, uh, Making a Murderer went viral. Yeah. It's all through, thinking... through sharing and social media and, and the dialogue online. Right. And I think that can happen with Bloodline. I think it'll take off. I think what will help Bloodline, too, is having more seasons. Having the second season coming up, yeah. uh, I think in May, they said they were going to release it in May. Having a second season on there takes it from just, okay, what is this one, you know, if you look at it, it's one season of a show and you're not really sure. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have a second season, that you, you you know, honestly, to me, if a, if a series only has one season on Netflix, I, I hesitate to start it because yeah. uh, we live in an era where every we, we binge everything uh, and we watch yeah. a series every night for two weeks. Um, and I, and so you look at a show and I go, well, I'll wait until everything comes out, which is why Better Call Saul is so frustrating because I've already binged through the first <laughs> season and been, you know, and, and now I'm binging through the first uh, episodes of the second season and I go, now I have to wait. For however yeah, many seasons, yeah. along with this show, like I did for Breaking Bad, uh, right? Yeah, and so, <laughs> so it's. I think that'll be a help. That'll help uh, Bloodline, especially if it's a really oh, good definitely. second season, which I'm sure it will be. But um, yeah, I can't imagine it will be. But uh, but that's true. That's that's sort of the the uh, current mentality in in uh, binging is. Yeah, I look at you look at something that's one season. It's like oh, yeah, I don't. I want something I can sink my teeth into and just binge, you know, for a few weeks. And the first totally get into it. The first show I really feel I really remember doing that with is Twenty Four. Yeah, you know, I think that was probably that was probably the first one for most Americans. Right, that was that's, the first one. Kind that, of the first one that, that people bought the DVD set of, or net, you Netflixed the DVDs. You know, uh, yeah. and they would have watch parties. Yeah, you so you have. It's like okay, come over. We're gonna stay up all night and watch the whole season. Yeah, the new season's out. We're gonna we're gonna have a watch party and and do a marathon. I mean, I knew tons of people who did that. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that was the one that kicked that trend off and made it a thing and and sort of introduce people to that idea and it's and it's stuck because it's it's a great way to enjoy content that you love um you know not have to wait around you can just watch it when you want and how many of them you want it's 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 a fun way to consume your favorite media so here's uh before before we end here here's here's a question that i've heard floated around different opinions on are all the great stories 
going to TV now? Oh, wow. That's a good, st- that's a good question. Um, I mean, so much brilliant content is being produced um, for TV. You know, some go straight to Netflix and Showtime, um, A&E. I mean, this, uh, these, these cable networks and, and digital platforms are creating more and more original content. And some of the greatest writers, directors, and producers are migrating over there. And in some ways, they have more flexibility and more autonomy to tell their stories than they do with, in a large studio system. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I would say not all the great stories, uh, but I would, I kind of feel like some of the best, that's some of the best content that's coming out now. You know, the studio model is, is more and more geared toward the big franchises yeah. and cranking out sequels. Because they know, you know, their their marketing team and their accounting team, you know, and their NBA sit down and they do their they do their pro forma and they can say, Oh, okay, well if we do another Batman movie, it's gonna cost us and we have, you know, this this kind of a cast, it's gonna cost us hundred million to produce. And between domestic and, and foreign rights and, and all the merchandising, you know, we can we can make a half billion dollars on it. And so that's what they do. Yeah, and I, you know it's all about risk aversion and risk avoidance, and so they they stick with telling the stories that are safe franchises. And, I'm um, I'm interested to see I'm interested to see what's going to happen to um, what's going to happen to cinemas because there's more and more talk now of on demand movies like first run movies where you can you know you can pay. Uh, $70 or $50 to get a first run movie in your home. Um, and these services are probably going to be coming, you know, very soon. And so it makes me wonder, um, do cinemas become more of, and, it, and I thought it was headed this way with 3d, like with avatar, that it was going to become more of a, uh, more of an attraction where you go to the cinema almost like a roller coaster, where you get the gear, you get the headset, almost like it, it's like a, a virtual reality thing or something like that. But I, I feel like more and more um, studios have to rely, like you said, on tentpole uh, franchises. Yeah. But there is less and less of a reason to go to the movies when you can get really, really great content. Either movies, you know, we see Netflix now doing movies, not just series and everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting to me. You you used to have to go to the theater to get the great stories and the great content, right? Right. Yeah. But yeah. it just doesn't feel like that anymore. I don't. I used to feel right. up until a few years ago. I used to feel like I had to go to the movies almost every weekend, and now I don't feel like that anymore. I feel like yeah. I can. I can. Uh, turn on HBO Go or Netflix or or Amazon, and I can find content that is just as good, if not better, than almost everything that's come out in the theater. Yeah, and you couple that with the advances in technology and the fact that you know a, a, a flat screen TV that ten years ago would have been three three to five thousand dollars is now three hundred bucks. Yeah, 
you know, three three to five hundred bucks, you can have a giant flat screen TV um, that's high def, that's that's stunning quality on a huge screen in the comfort of your home. So it and and you know with great fidelity sound, and so it isn't like you have to go to the theater to have a decent quality exhibition. Yeah, so in some ways the home experience is even better. And as we transition to 4K, you know that's just going to go up to the next level. So, so you're right. I think, I think that's a real interesting thing. So it is going to be, I think it's going to be more migration to, to really the tentpole franchises that the studios crank out because because I think people still want to go to the theater for that social experience and to eat the popcorn in the big dark room with a couple right. of other people and watch you know the new Batman movie. Right, but that goes um, back. That goes back to the whole event thing. It's the only reason yeah, it, we it, will go to the it, theater is is for an event. Right. Whereas we used to go yeah. to to watch to watch, you know, uh, sh- independent yeah, independent films or, yeah, or whatever. Right. Uh, it's. Yeah. It, I I'm I'm worried because I I am nostalgic and I do love going to the movies. But I find myself yeah. now, the only movies I go to are events. I, you know, I go to the Star Wars premiere. Sure. Uh, I'll go to yeah. a big budget uh, thriller or whatever. Uh, but I find myself, you know, I find myself going, uh, I don't need to go see that in the theater. I can, mm-hmm. you know, rent it for five ninety nine on iTunes in two months when it comes out and watch it at home on my home theater on my own terms. Uh, right. So... It, yeah, it's interesting, and I. Mm-hmm. It also is uh, encouraging because there are so many platforms for good storytelling that, uh, you know, it makes me hope that soon I can, um, hopefully, see something that uh, I create up on the, up on the home theater screen. Well, that's the that's the that's the bright side of it for for budding filmmakers uh, and for independent filmmakers is there are so many digital channels that are delivering content that it's creating a need for more content and more quality content. And as a result, it's creating, I think more opportunities for the independent filmmaker. And some would disagree. Um, you know, so Robert Redford, I think is of the mind that, Oh, you know, the, the trend is with these big blockbusters is pushing out independent filmmakers. So I don't agree. I think with all the digital platforms and all these new delivery systems for programming, content it creates more opportunities especially for filmmakers who can do something on a smaller budget and do something quality there's a huge market for that and there's an appetite from uh, you know from the viewer to, to to find and discover interesting and new and, and kind of groundbreaking content that isn't isn't doesn't fit the studio model so I agree I think I think there's there's more opportunity than ever both for the the filmmaker and for the viewer to to really be a part of that. So it's nothing but good news. Awesome. Thanks for uh, thanks for the chat, Dad. Yeah, it's great to chat. Good to catch up, and uh, uh, enjoy your podcast. Keep it up. Thanks. Love you. I'll talk to you later. Right. Love you too, sir. Bye bye. See ya. All right. That's my chat with my dad. Uh, it got political there for a little bit at the beginning. But uh, it came back around to what we normally talk about, which is, uh, you know, cars and motorcycles and movies and TV and stuff. 
again, this episode was presented by Senita Athletics. S-E-N-I-T-A Athletics.com. Use promo code LOUD, L-O-W-D, to get 10% off your order. Thanks to Brad Louder, my dad, for calling in. And uh, thank you, the listener, uh, for making it this far. And this uh, this podcast was a little bit longer. Uh, thank you for listening. And, uh, and we will we'll see you next time in episode five.